Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton, the lead pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. Every week, we spend these 25 minutes together telling you the stories of our church by interviewing our members and other friends of the ministry. We'd invite you to join us at Harvest Baptist Church this weekend for one of our two services. We meet at 8.45 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. every Sunday. We have Japanese and Korean translation available during our 10.45 a.m. service. That's also when we live stream on hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. This week, Dr. Jim Tillotson will be speaking in our Sunday morning services from 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. The question, do you love God? Let's begin today's harvest time by welcoming Pastor Gary Walton. Hi, Pastor. Hey, half a day, Chris. Yeah, this is graduation weekend around here at Harvest. Friday evening is uh, the Academy, Harvest Christian Academy graduation. We have 60-some students that will be graduating, and uh, so that will be a great time together. A lot of families on campus. And then that's followed up on Sunday night is the graduation for our Bible college. If you're uh, new to Island or new to Harvest, you, uh, we have uh, really two um, schools going on on campus, our academy that has nearly 1,000 kids, um, Harvest Christian Academy graduation uh, Friday night again. Then our Bible college is a, a Bible college for about 60 students, primarily from the islands, uh, from the Micronesian islands, and they come for five years, really trained to be equipped in ministry, and uh, our desire to, is to send back students back to um, the islands and the outer islands that would be ready to teach in the schools and serve in the churches. And so we're thrilled to be able to say congratulations to these graduates. And so a lot of things happening. Um, and that's actually the connection with Sunday morning, which we'd like to invite you to, and Chris just did. Uh, in coming for the graduation, we have a special speaker that we're going to introduce in just a minute. Uh, Jim Tillotson is here, and he'll be speaking at those graduations. Then we have the privilege of being able to host him on Sunday morning in both of those services. And uh, Dr. Jim uh, has the hand of God on his life, and he's a, a unique and powerful communicator of the scriptures. And so I'd like to invite you to come and join us. I know that you'll be blessed and we have room for you, and uh, we'd love to welcome you to Harvest this weekend. I'm really glad to have my friend, uh, Dr. Jim Tillotson, uh, with us. Uh, Dr. Jim is the president of Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa, Bible College and Seminary. So welcome, first of all, Jim. Thank you. Great to be here. Um, you uh, were, When you pastored, you were called, I think, Pastor Jim, and now mostly, well, you're called P. Tilly. I think that's <laughs> part of it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Both, uh, you know, just names that express, I think, closeness of people with you, but um, they express sort of a couple different roles, big roles that God has uh, allowed you to have in your life. Yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. Tell us about um, uh, the college. You're, you've been the president at Faith since 2015, if mm -hmm. I remember that right. Yep. Um, tell us about the school, what's the mission, the burden, the purpose of uh, Faith. Well, our slogan would be, with the word to the world. And so we are a Bible college, so no matter what degree you take, you'll also major in Bible. And uh, we really specialize in, in a few things, We're obviously anything ministry. So we train pastors, missionaries. Um, we do education. In fact, we were ranked number one in the state of Iowa for education. So we beat 
all of our secular universities, which was a big deal for us. Wow, that's great. Uh, we're regionally accredited, so we have the same accreditation as any secular university. Um, and so education is great. We also have business called Organizational Leadership. And uh, because that was accredited, a lot of business schools would say that their business side is shrinking and everyone's growing in organizational leadership because most businesses would say, we can teach you our business. We want you to come in with the managerial skills that are needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's doing very well. And then uh, office administration. So uh, those are the, the four main things that we do at Faith. Um, I want to ask you a little bit later about your ministry as a pastor, but uh, you know, jumping back a few years, I know that was a transition for you to go from pastoring a church that God was blessing to uh, becoming a president of a college. I know it wasn't on your radar when that came up. What was it that God used to burden you for that kind of ministry? What's the big deal about that? Why would you invest your life there, and, and how do you see that playing out in your life right now? Um. Well, kind of as you know, I, I started up in Edmonton as a church plant. So it started with 10 people, and then we just saw God bless in an incredible way. And uh, really, because of what we saw God doing, never crossed my mind that he would ask me to leave. <laughs> uh, because we were just seeing things that uh, most people would write a book about. It was just an amazing work of God. And then when Faith called me, I, I just honestly thought it was God testing me to see, do I love him more than I love Meadowlands, the church I was pastoring? And my wife felt the same way. Neither one of us thought this was serious. and uh, But God made it clear it was serious. And I think the thing that God used in my heart was that I could stay at Meadowlands and minister to hundreds of people, or I could go to faith and minister to hundreds of churches. And I thought, we were planting a church about every three to five years. And I looked at the next 20 years of my life and said, you know, how can God get the most out of my life? And I just felt if I went to a place that's training people for ministry, and if I intentionally mentor five people a year, in 20 years, that'd be 100 ministries that I could have a, a great impact and influence in. And if I stayed at Meadowlands, I mean, we would still plant at the most five more churches in the next 20 years. Um, and it was being used of the Lord there, but I just felt, you know, I would have a greater influence. And then secondly, I would say God made it clear. Hmm. And I think that when God makes it clear, I think I would have been disobedient to stay at Meadowlands, and I could have given the same effort and the, done the same work, but I don't think I would have seen the same results. Because I always tell people, I want to see what God can do, not what I can do. Mm -hmm. And God doesn't bless disobedience. And I think that um, that's something that has helped Joan and I when it's been hard. We've had a lot of challenges at Faith, but I think that um, we always come back to the fact we know God did ask us to do this. And so once you know that, in one sense, then that's all you need to know. But I, I would also say the things he used, I mean, I had seven counselors. Four of the seven originally said, don't go. Then all of them flipped, and neither of us saw that coming, two of which were my mom and dad, hmm. uh, who said stay in Canada, and then they flipped and said, we think you should go. And, and then the verse God gave me is, the fields are wide to harvest, but the labors are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, he sends forth labors in the field. And I, I always just tell people, we all have to be where we're called, you know, like, I go to some places where there's five churches in one town, and I coming from Canada, there was nothing like that. And I was like, how can anyone go to the, a town of five churches? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, because God called them there. Right. And God doesn't call everyone to a college ministry, and he doesn't call everyone to be a senior pastor. And um, But I, I just am convinced that God did ask Joan and I to make that move. And I think it was a very hard transition because we love pastoral ministry. I think, you know, Dr. O would say the difference of, being a pastor and a college president is that uh, when you're a pastor, the people go home. 
<laughs> and when you're a college president, they live with you for, uh, you know, you can't get away. You from can't them. get away from them, you know, and and but I say the other downside yeah. is if in a college ministry, they leave after four right. years. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know any pastor that has his entire congregation replacing every four years. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a pressure that I never had as a pastor. And I think, you know, especially in today's environment, there's a lot of pressure on schools a lot of christians uh, higher ed is are, are not doing very well it's been a big challenge so right i introduced you as we began as my friend you and i've known each other for a long time actually uh we went to college together at northland baptist bible college so you're a graduate of northland um and then uh, we were a little bit connected for a while but over the last 10 years god's really given us a unique friendship actually i, I thought i'd ask you about this uh, uh, five years ago, maybe a little bit before that, right as I was coming out here, a group of us c- kind of banded together to uh, to try to connect, um, you know, commitment to to a friendship that would involve some accountability and monthly connections. We talk on you know on the phone um, together, so that's you and I, and then and then uh, actually people our our people would know. Um, uh, Jason Ormiston is in that group. And uh, Pat Odell. Pat Odell. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the four of us together. Um, it's been meaningful for me that that friendship. I, I, Jim, talk talk about that for a minute. Um, the meaning that's been for you, and then maybe beyond just our friendship, but the importance of accountability and and actually genuine friendships for believers. Oh, I don't know if you remember this, but I don't know if you remember you and I had a conversation in a parking lot. We sat in a car together, and you kind of shared your burden for this. Mm. And I would just say that really you were the one who was the catalyst to get the four of us together. And I would 100% agree with you. It's probably been one of the more special, meaningful uh, things in my life. You know, we all are involved in large ministries, and, and we are friends. So I think we can say things to each other that sometimes you need a friend to say. Mm. And, and I think the fact that we make a commitment to get together once a month I just don't have any other friends like that. There, there's no one else that I talk to once a month, and and we just make it happen. And and then we're you know as we've gotten together a few times, just all of us going to a hotel and plan to do that again in, in Minnesota. I think that the higher you go in leadership, the more important it is to have accountability. Mm-hmm. And I think, but I would also say the higher you go up in leadership, the more lonely it can be. Um, there's a lot of people that don't understand what you're dealing with. There's a lot of people that think they know what you're dealing with, but they really don't know unless you're the you're the final authority. And again, a lot of people think that's a great spot to be in, but it comes with a lot of responsibility. And I think we both know there's a lot of great leaders that are not in ministry anymore. And among the four of us, we all commit that we all want to retire together mm-hmm. and we want to help each other make it. And I think that um, we all go through hard things. And, uh, you know, hopefully... The, so far, the four of us haven't had that all happen at the same time. But, you know, it's been wonderful when we've been through a hard time to just pick someone else's brain and just say, hey, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm going through. You know, how would you guys handle this? And I I, I look forward to it personally. It's been a wonderful thing in my life. In fact, my wife would agree. And my wife would just say, uh, when I told her, hey, we're trying to get together, or she knows this is the night we're having a call. She's happy that I'm doing this because she, I mean, she gives me a hard time about my buddies and, you know, getting together. But she also would say she's so happy that there's someone that I can talk to 
Um, and I've just found it incredibly beneficial. And honestly, I'm thankful to you for having the vision to do this. Um, because I would say I, I, five years later, it's become way more important to me than when we first started. I agree. And I would just say that I didn't see that coming and how much I value and appreciate uh, the friendship that has developed among the four of us and the benefit that it's been. Um, I just really look forward to those phone calls. Uh, it's not easy for us to get together, actually. And maybe that's something right. to communicate. I mean, we're, we're all busy and uh, and we're living in different parts of the world. <laughs> Major you know, time zone differences. Major time zone differences. <laughs> so every month it is, uh, you know, work for all of us to get together. Right. Um, and I say that only for uh, for the sake of communicating to those that are listening how much we, we all ought to value the benefit of genuine friendships that right. are spiritual accountability people that you know you can be transparent and open with um and uh yeah that's that's not just you know pastors really this is an important piece for everybody um and if i can encourage listeners if you don't have that you, uh, you might want to initialize it you might want to figure out what what steps could i take to ask some people to come alongside uh, me um, during that time. So I think too we're all busy. So I think when we think we'll wait till we make time for it, it'll never happen. Right. Like I would say, the only reason it happens is we are very intentional. Yeah. And we get our admins working on it and saying, "Hey, we're going to make this happen." And sometimes we've had to really give and take to make a date work out. But mm-hmm. I think we would all say it's been a very important part of of all of our lives in ministry. And I just think, you know, probably when you're a strong leader, you're a pretty independent person. Uh, but we really do need other people in our life. And I think that's a biblical principle as well. And I think that I'm glad I have people in my life that if I went off the rails, uh, would not just stop with a phone call if needed. I'm confident that if I was going off the rails, any one of you three would show up at my house Mm -hmm. if it was needed. And uh, that's great. That's a blessing to have that. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. This isn't just like a sentimental idea. I think there's a biblical yeah, um, exactly. you know, principle for right. for anybody, this importance of having um, having these kind of friends, the friendships that are talked about in the scriptures, the fellowship and the accountability are critical pieces of that. Jim, let me let me back up to the church part. Um, so you graduated from college. Um What's your background? I'm going to start with that. Where'd you grow up? Tell me about college. And then how did God call you to ministry and to Canada? Because you didn't grow up in Canada, right? No, I did not. So I grew up in northern Minnesota, and my dad got saved when I was five. And uh, I, I call it the dark side of fundamentalism, but I, I grew up in a church that was really focused on haircuts and hemlines. And um, my dad ended up my, my parents were the most real Christians I've ever seen. I mean, I could just remember my dad reading his Bible all growing up. We would help anybody that needed help. I mean, they were just the real deal. And, you know, really, you were never supposed to leave the area. I mean, there was an institute there, and, you know, if you if you moved away, they they'd preach a message against you from the pulpit. I mean, it was a very, very kind of controlling. But they did preach the Bible, and that is where my parents got saved. So I'm very thankful for that. And ended up at Northland. Uh, we grew up by an air base. And uh, there was a lady named Carol Price who uh, mm. kind of got saved there. And just my parents kind of adopted her. And when she went to Northland, she wrote back and just said, hey, I think this is a great school. And so. That, I didn't know that connection. Yeah. So oh, that, wow. So that's really. And she's a missionary to she Bolivia is, now. Yeah, and Bolivia, so, yeah. But uh, that's how I ended up at Northland. And then 
starting my second year, Tom Farrell came and preached a message on evangelism and uh, really repentance. And God just spoke to my heart that night, and I realized uh, I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God. And I knew that I'd have to change a lot of things. I looked great on the outside, but I was a mess on the inside. And for three days, I just wrestled with that. And I just, you know, I'd go to bed and the thought was, are you going to go to hell for this? And I would say, yeah, I am. And I wake up the next morning, you're going to go to hell? Yeah, I am. Finally, on the third day, I just broke and said, okay, God, I'm done. And give you my whole life. I was dating a girl who also had the same kind of background that I did. So she wasn't going to marry a pastor. I wasn't going to be one. So that was going to work out great. <laughs> and I tested into law school and uh, scored high enough to get accepted and got a scholarship. And two weeks before I was supposed to go, I just thought, you know, if I could do anything for the rest of my life, I want to try and take as many people to heaven as possible. Hmm. And uh, I called her up and I said, hey, I know this is crazy, but I'm actually going to go back to Northland. Because at that point, I was going to go to law, leaving Northland, go to law school. And uh, she said, that's okay, I'll stay with you. And so uh, we ended up getting married. And um, then I... As God led me into pastoral ministry, I just thought, you know, I, I didn't have a burden for America because I just thought if, if you want to hear the gospel, you could go. And I don't feel that today now that I've traveled as a president. But mm. back then I thought you can go anywhere and hear the gospel. So, I, But I didn't feel called to learn another language. So I was like, where do they speak English? You know, that left <laughs> England, Australia, and Canada. And uh, I grew up two hours south of Winnipeg. And so I just thought, well, I'm familiar with Winnipeg. And so I just thought God burned my heart for Canada. And then when I called all the missionaries they were all in either coast nothing in the middle so then i said well then that's where i want to go i want to go to the middle and god led us to edmonton alberta and we started with 10 people i was uh i was 26 and uh everyone the next closest person to me was 50 and in a group of 10 and god just started seeing a ton of people come to christ and it was just the most exciting ministry we've ever had and really very little transfer growth because there aren't any other churches up there. So really, you know, we end up having a large ministry of first-generation Christians, and, you know, they're on fire for the Lord. They're very evangelistic. They're very generous. And I uh, went through two building projects and planted four churches out of that and started an institute, started a Christian school. You know the drill of everything that you're doing here, and so you're on a bigger scale than we were at the time. But um, it was just it was a really amazing, amazing work. The heart of that sounds like, you know, was the call of God to your life. If you're going to invest your life in anything, it would be in, you know, the lives of eternal souls. Mm -hmm. um, and then that really, am I right? That would be the heart of the pastoral ministry that you had up in Alberta. Um, there's lots of churches out there, Jim. Maybe I'll ask you about that question in a minute. Not that many of them, I would say, are actively and effectively reaching people with the gospel. What, what happened there? What was different about the, the church there, Meadowlands, that, you know, many, you said many, almost all first-generation Christians? I've thought about that a lot. I, I, I travel a lot. You know, the yeah. unique thing at, as a college president is I travel almost every weekend. So for eight years, I've seen a lot of churches. When I was a pastor, I, I didn't get to do that. I always yeah. wondered what happens. And I, I kind of thought, well, they're all like my church. And then you start traveling, and I would say new believers are always evangelistic. You think of the woman at the well. Mm -hmm. The trained disciples who've already seen miracles go into the same town ahead of her and bring back no one to Christ. She goes into town. <laughs> all she knows is her salvation. Yeah. Come see a man that told me all that. All she has is her testimony. That's all she has. But she wants to share it with people. And you're really sitting there like, how did the disciples and then what's their thought when they come back? Why is Jesus talking to her? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's interesting at the beginning of that chapter, it says he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to go through there? Because there's a lot of people that need to be saved. 
And I think you, as you travel America today, you'll walk into tons of church buildings. Well, there wouldn't be a building unless someone back in the day was reaching lost people. Right. But you walk in the, inside a lot of those church buildings today, and it's a lot of older people, and they're dying. I would say most churches haven't seen an adult saved and baptized in years. Um, they, they don't have to fill their baptismal tank. Um, it's full of dust. Mm-hmm. And I guess I didn't know that that was the majority. I, I would honestly say as I've traveled, that is the majority of churches. And, and, I've, and I would honestly say that if you took a, a survey and asked them how many pastors want to see people saved, all of them would say they do. Mm-hmm. But I would say, one of the, why isn't that happening? I think two things that I would say I've observed, because there still are churches that are doing it. The big difference is they're relational. Churches that are seeing people saved are very relational. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't tell you how many visitors have told me they visited a church, filled out a card, and never got a call back, mm-hmm. never got a visit. I mean, that, that should be so basic. Um, I can't tell you how many people walk into a church and no one says hi to them. And that's happened at Jonah. I mean, churches are like 50. It's mm-hmm. obvious we're the only visitors. And people are talking in the pew in front of us or talking in the pew behind us, and not one person says hi to us. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're a first-time visitor, you're never going to go back to that church. Yeah. And, and what happened, the churches that are seeing people saved, they're very friendly, they're very relational, they're very intentional, and they're very gospel-focused. I've seen so many churches where they give a great gospel presentation but no invitation. Mm. And so if I'm an unsaved person, what am I supposed to do with that? Who do I talk to? Where do I, if I want to get saved, you know, and, and I can't tell you how many churches they just, let's close in prayer, they didn't even say, come talk to the pastor, or come mm. talk, and you're just like... <laughs> You know, one evangelistic churches never do that. Evangelistic churches are really clear with lost people. Hey, if God spoke to you, go to this room. This is how you, uh, come yeah. forward. Go talk to me. If you fill out a card, we will call you this week. Mm-hmm. They're very intentional, and I also would say they're expectant. Evangelistic churches expect people to get saved, mm-hmm. and uh, most churches don't, and they're okay with it. You know, in, in Meadowlands, if we went two months without an adult getting saved, honestly, our leadership we were concerned. I mean, we were having special prayer meetings, like something's wrong. Like we haven't seen anyone saved in two months. That is not the mentality of a lot of churches, but it is the mentality of evangelistic churches. It is. If they go a while and no one's saved, the leadership's concerned. And the leadership is like, hey, something's wrong. We're not seeing anyone saved. And I just think those to me are the common denominators. It is God who saves. Like I agree. I I would say too, being on the mission field, I don't care if, if no one's getting saved, if you've been evangelistic, because that is up to the Lord. Mm-hmm. But when you talk to churches where nothing's happening and you find out they're not doing anything to reach lost people, and then their response is, well, the field is too hard. My, my response back is, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know it's too You haven't even tried. When, when did you invite someone to church or to an event? Or when's the last time you had an unsaved person in your house for dinner? And you just hear crickets to all those questions. Right. Like, well, how do you know it's too hard? You, you haven't done one thing to reach out to lost people. Whereas new believers, they have so many unsaved friends, and they want them all to get saved by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and they're going home, and they think their whole family is going to get saved, and then their family thinks they joined a cult. You know? right, exactly. <laughs> just like, but they're excited, you know? And, and I just think there's some, at some point we got to get that passion for lost people back. And I think, you know, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And how can we say we're like Christ? I would say most preaching in most churches, it's all about sanctification, which is a, a part. Mm-hmm. But I think evangelism is the other side of the coin. And when 
and else, I mean, I'm preaching on this on Sunday morning. Do you love God? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you love God, then we talk about everything we love. There's not one thing you tell me you love. If you love the Vikings, you talk about the Vikings. If yeah. you love fishing, you talk about fishing. You hit a hole in one in golf, you'll talk about that the rest of your life. <laughs> and so, but then we never say anything about God. That seems really weird to me. It, it really, we love him in a different way, which isn't the way it should be. And new believers, they love God as much as getting a hole in one in golf. I mean, they just got to tell everybody, you won't believe what happened to me. You got to come to my church. It's yeah. the most amazing thing. Uh, new believers, I could say I was going to sneeze on Thursday. They'd show up. You know, <laughs> I know what he's going to do, but it's going to be awesome. You know, and, and yet I think in a lot of churches, it's like the disciples. How did they go into town after seeing miracles and not say anything to anyone? Mm. And I think we get so used to church and our friends and everything is just the way it's always been for years. We don't even think how to reach out to lost people. It's not on our radar. But I just think evangelistic churches, it's always on the radar. They're always intentional. They're doing things on purpose with the goal of we want someone to get saved. I love it, Jim. You and I have talked about this a lot oftentimes, you know, and just the privilege of seeing people come to Christ. And uh, every time we're together, you're an encouragement to me in these areas. And I'm excited uh, to be able to have you minister to our church through the graduations, but really on Sunday in our services. I can't wait for that. Um, this is your second time here, actually. You came just mm-hmm. a few months after we were here for the first time, but now, like, you know the lay of the land. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah, can't, we're excited about Sunday, hear from God's Word, Me and too. this challenge, which, uh, which we need um, on the, the, the responsibilities in front of us and the privilege to talk about the God that we love. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to cheer you on as you open up your heart and open up the scriptures to us. I look forward to it. This weekend. So thanks for coming out. I know you got off a plane yesterday. It's going to be a quick trip, but thank you for being willing to come. Thank you for your friendship and our ministry partnership. I really love you, brother. It's a wonderful privilege to be here. Well, thank you for listening to Harvest Time today. Of course, at this point in the program, we always want to invite you to services this weekend at Harvest Baptist Church. We gather at 8.45 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. Sunday morning. We have Japanese and Korean translation at the 10.45 a.m. service. And that's also when we live stream on hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. We hope to see you this Sunday. Thanks again for listening to Harvest Time.